0: Our passage this morning is Malachi, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. I invite you to follow along in your Bible or Bible app, but if you want to use the Bibles there in your seats, that should be page 801. If you haven't been with us or just forgotten, we're in the book of Malachi as God speaks through his prophet to his people who have returned from exile but do not seem to be restored to the glory that they anticipated, struggling under foreign rule with an inglorious temple And suffering from want, God speaks to them of his love and covenant faithfulness. And two weeks ago when we were last together, God addresses the fact that God's people are seeking restoration but are worshiping him with faulty, with blind, and with uh, inappropriate offerings. And that the priests would accept that. Instead of blessing, they're inviting cursing upon them. But now God, through his messenger, speaks directly to the priests as his people overhear this oracle. So let's attend now to what God has to say to the people who have returned from exile to us this morning from his word. Malachi 2, verses 1 through 9. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. may be seated. Let's pray that the Lord would help us as we come to his word. Gracious God, we come to your word for understanding, for instruction, for help. And who but you can tell us what it truly means and what you truly desire. So would you, by your spirit, instruct us this morning. Would you help me to be a faithful servant to your word and to your people? This we pray for your glory and honor. In the name of Christ, amen. My late grandfather was a popular man in his town, particularly at Christmas. I knew it because when I would visit him at Christmas, the shelves would be full of cookies and fudge and all kinds of tasty treats because my grandfather was a postal worker. And so at Christmas, he's bringing Christmas cards, he's delivering packages, and at that particular time of year, especially in the days before uh, FedEx and Amazon and so on, the postal worker was the means by which these messages of family, these presents of encouragement were received. So they valued him and showed their appreciation through those gifts, which he in turn shared with his grandchildren that appreciation and that significance was shown through gratitude but we also know what it's like on the other side You may have read in the news of some horrendous occasions where Amazon drivers or UPS workers have just dumped their load somewhere in the woods rather than deliver it because it was too hard. And all those people are not receiving not only their gifts, but sometimes legal documents that they need or checks in the mail that they count on. Or We get upset when the delivery worker throws the package onto our porches or as it happened a couple weeks ago, A book for this very series was left out in the rain for days as opposed to being put under the safety of the little roof over there. Because those letters, those packages, they aren't significant just in and of themselves, but because of what they communicate. The legal transactions that we need to accomplish. The communication of our love and appreciation to others the resources, whether it's medication or something else that we rely on in the mail. When the message is delivered safe and sound, we rejoice and are grateful for the messenger. But when they discard the message or corrupt the message, we are rightly upset. And so we can begin to understand the mind of God this morning. We can have a sense of the Lord's anger here. Verse 7 tells us, as we briefly touched on the last time we were together, that the priest is God's messenger. That the priest is supposed to instruct God's people in his ways according to his instructions for the people. But as verse 8 makes it clear, they have corrupted their covenant duties by corrupt and partial instruction. They have told God's people these unacceptable, unholy, unclean offerings are acceptable. They have not corrected them or corrected themselves. They have told themselves, we're doing just fine. The issue is God, not us. And so, in response, God has declared a curse against them. The Levitical priesthood who is meant to be messengers of God's blessing as they communicate God's instructions that God's people might walk in that blessed relationship have it turned that blessing into a curse by distorting and corrupting the message. The priestly line of Leviticus suffers because they're supposed to proclaim and supposed to help other people walk with God. But instead, the people's gifts have become corrupted. They've been turned aside by the mishandling of those instructions. We can understand why God is upset, but we might also ask, well, what do we do about it? We don't live under a priestly sacrificial system today. We don't live with a visible temple where such offerings are made. We don't live in the promised land as those who have returned from physical exile. So how do we understand what this passage means for us? Even if mail isn't for us, you can learn something by reading other people's mail, right? Now, of course, speaking of delivering mail, it's a federal offense to open other people's mail, but sometimes we are permitted to look over the shoulders of other people's messages. That's what God is doing in this passage. God is speaking through his prophet to the priests, but this is a public message that God's people are supposed to hear. And just as reading maybe a love letter between two uh, between a couple shows the nature of maybe the husband and the wife and the nature of the relationship, so listening in on this passage shows us about the people involved. It tells us something about God. It tells us something about God's people. And also, if we are paying attention, tell us something about Jesus. This morning, I invite us to listen to what God has to say from his word, that we might know him, know ourselves better, and look to Jesus. First, what does the passage say about God? Malachi is addressing the issue of worship and the sacrificial system and what the priests and the people are supposed to do in worship well, what the part of what the passage speaks to is who the God that the people are supposed to worship is. Who is calling the priest to repent? That might seem obvious, but it's no less important that we are reminded in this passage that the God that God's people are supposed to worship is a God who speaks. A God who communicates with his people, who offers them instruction. In this passage, God is speaking to the priests. In this passage, God is speaking to the people. In this passage, God is addressing the fact that what he has spoken in the past is being corrupted. This reveals something about the nature of God, who out of his love and relational nature, who exists for all eternity as the triune God, displays himself, Who does not hide himself in the dark, but reveals himself so that others would know him and know about him so that they could live in relationship with him. This is why God sends messengers. So that the people of God could hear his voice. And in hearing his voice and hearing his instruction, that they might know him and walk with him. The instructions that God gives whether it's the overt and particular laws of the sacrificial system, whether it's the Ten Commandments, whether it is prophetic injunctions to repent, all of these instructions, all of these opportunities by which God speaks are meant for the purpose of God's people living in relationship with Him. And to live in the world that He made rightly, the world that He spoke into being. What does God speak? Not only shows us that he seeks to relate to us, that he shows himself to us, but what does he want to show us? What does he want to communicate to us? Well, as we look at the covenant that God has with Levi, we're told that the covenant was supposed to be a covenant of life, it was supposed to be a covenant of peace, Now, there's not an overt moment when we look at the Old Testament where God says, I am now making my covenant with Levi. But a covenant is simply an agreement between parties with stipulations about how they're supposed to engage one another with blessings and cursings as a result. And we can read in Deuteronomy 33 how God commends Levi and the priests for their obedience to bless God's people and follow the commands. In Exodus 32, the Levites are commended for addressing the false worship of the golden calf, and so God blesses them as they uphold the law. And the purpose of this covenant with Levi is so that as the Levitical priesthood walks with God in life and peace, that those they represent to God, the rest of the people, might enjoy life and peace. God doesn't just speak to let himself be heard. He's not like a politician. He's not like some pastors who just like the sound of their own voice. He speaks so that in knowing him, we might walk with him and experience the blessing of his presence, the life he intends for us to have. And not just life, not just mere existence, but shalom, the peaceful flourishing and fulfillment for which we were made. God speaks so that we might enjoy the blessing of life and peace with him. And when we fail, and when those who are charged with guiding us into the enjoyment of God in life and peace, God corrects his children and he disciplines the evildoer. Why does God speak out? It might sound harsh to us. He speaks of of placing the dung upon the face of the priest's of them being rejected from this calling in the priesthood. Why does God act this way? Well, verse 4 says this, So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi my stand, says the Lord of hosts. That his enacting of discipline and justice on wrongdoing is a confirmation that what God says actually matters. How many of us have had a teacher say, do this or do that with all kinds of threats and never backs it up? Parents who have said one thing and do another. Perhaps you've driven down a portion of roadway and it says, this is the safe speed you should travel. And over and over again, people slip off the road into the ditch. If it really mattered, if if the people that posted those those speed limits really cared about the safety, maybe they would have some officers out there writing tickets so that the people actually learned to do what was right for their safety. God's disciplining of his children, his punishment of the evildoer, shows us that he actually means what he says. That he doesn't just say, I hope you enjoy peace and life. But so committed am I to the experiencing of your goodness and the life in me that when people lead you astray, when you choose to go astray, I'm not going to just let you wander into that, I'm going to do something about it. His correction confirms the covenant. That God cares when we wander and we hurt ourselves in disobedience. And that response to disobedience, that corruption of the evildoer, it is impartial. Notice at the end of the passage that the people show part, excuse me, the priesthood shows partiality in their instruction. But who is God calling out in this passage? He's calling out the priesthood. These are the people that control, at least experientially for the people, the people's access to God. These are the people that are supposed to have tithes to them and receive the gifts of God's people. These are the people who are supposed to provide instruction and in for inf- influence, not just to the people, but to the kings. These are the power brokers. These are the important people in this moment in God's people's history, and God speaks to them and corrects them. Usually it's those with money or power or class that speak the loudest. And thus, they end up quieting the others without those things. But God will not hear the excuses, the justifications, or the silence of the priests for distorting the message that he has entrusted to them. God is impartial. He is just and displays that he will act to vindicate his justice, to vindicate his purpose of blessing that he speaks into the world by addressing the wrongdoing even of the powerful. So many of those that call us to trust them in this world who say, trust me, my political platform will will fix things. Trust me, my business plan will make you rich so you don't have to worry about everything. Even those who sell particular Uh, workout regimes, or nutrition plans. they, They will say, trust me, trust my way, and you'll succeed. And yet when their own political cronies, their own social media network, their own business partners fail to live up to those circumstances, they're so very often quiet about that. Or seek excuses, or issue pardons on their behalf. God does not look on the priesthood and say, well, you're the special people. I'm going to ignore your sin. But so committed am I to the blessing of my people walking with me, experiencing the blessing of bearing my name as the Lord of hosts, that I will speak against your injustice. I will bring shame upon you, not for the sake of your shame, but so that the people would know that I am committed and I will address this wrongdoing so that they can have the blessing intended. This is what the passage tells us about God, who speaks and offers blessing, who corrects what's wrong because of his commitment to the blessing of his people in a just and holy way. The passage also shows us, as when we read a message, it doesn't just tell us about the one sending the message, it tells us something about the recipient, right? So what does the message say about us? The role of the priest was intercessory. They were to go before God, bringing the offerings of God's people. They were to burn incense as the prayers of God's people, representing them to God. And so this covenant that is spoken of with the Levites is supposed to be representative of God's greater covenant. And in likelihood, this is really just a subset of the Mosaic covenant that we read of in the book of Exodus. But certainly, the priests were supposed to be an example to God's people. So listening into what God says to the priest tells us what God wants for his people. And the first thing that we see is that we are meant to live in awe and fear of the Lord. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi my stand," says Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. God commends Levi to the priests and the people listening in because Levi understood that as he walked in relationship with God, as he heard his voice, as he repeated his instructions to his people, as he offered blessings for the worship of God, that the God he was serving was a God deserving of awe and fear. This has been part of the problem for the priesthood we read in verse excuse me chapter 1 that a son honors his father and a servant his master but the priests and the people are not honoring god they're not reverencing him in their hearts what we see is that this relationship that god offers in speaking to us is not one between equals he is the almighty creator god He is, as the passage says three times and repeatedly through Malachi, he is the Lord of hosts. That is, he is the Lord over the angelic armies in heaven against which no nation in power can stand. That's who he is. He's God and we aren't. And so we are meant to walk with fear and awe of him. We struggle with this this language of fear often. For we're so used to speaking of the way that we relate person to person, equal to equal. But but I think it might be helpful to to envision yourself walking up into the White Mountains or or maybe even better yet, the Rocky Mountains and standing at the base of a snow-capped mountain. We would stand in awe of such a mountain. The beauty and majesty, the the weight of the snowpack upon that mountain. But in that awe and reverence, we're likely to speak in whispers. Because for all of the power and glory and beauty represented in that snow-capped mountain, it's a chance of an avalanche if we disturb it. In its beauty and its glory, it's no threat to us unless we trespass upon its power. So it is with God who stands for us who offers blessing lest we work against it. The awe of God then points us to the standard, the standard by which we live, the standard that is not within us but outside of us. The other thing this passage tells us is that God's peoples need instruction, and because we need instruction, we should heed the right instruction. Verse 7 reminds us that we should seek instruction. It says this, For the lip of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. We don't automatically know in and of ourselves, particularly as those who are corrupted by sin. We don't know how to do the right thing. Sometimes we don't know what the right thing is. Sometimes we know what the right thing is, but we don't know how to enact it. What does God want from us? We need to seek his wisdom. Since he is not just one of us, he's not just our equal, he's just not our neighbor down the street, he is the Lord of hosts above us. We need his instruction. But that also means we need to evaluate those who are speaking to us. Who we are following, who we are listening to. Is their instruction, is their encouragement, is their advice consistent with what we know God has already said? The passage we looked at two weeks ago, the issue was that God's people were bringing blind and lame sacrifices, which were against God's explicit law, and the priests were accepting them. The priests were saying that was okay, but do you think those people who were bringing those sacrifices were like, okay, you got to twist my arm. I wasn't going to offer this sacrifice it's not like the priest went out into the fields and said, hey, you know that blind lamb with a broken leg over there? That's the one God really wants. And the people are saying, are you sure? They are all too happy to hear the priest tickling their ears with a, you know, God, he says he's holy, but you know, you can get by with this. Instead of evaluating what they wanted to hear and whether what they heard was what God had actually said, they just went along their merry way listening to what pleased them. They offered those sacrifices because they liked what they heard rather than what they heard was true. We need instruction, but we need to make sure we are heeding the right instruction that God has given, not what is pleasing to us. And so therefore we need to evaluate the words of others and the words of ourselves because out of the heart the mouth speaks. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, that this faulty instruction, this lack of guarding knowledge is not a mouth issue. You don't deal with this issue by going to the dentist or going to the ENT. You deal with this issue by going to the cardiologist. Their lack of pure instruction flows from a heart that honors God. As Jesus said in Matthew 15, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness and slander so we need to guard our hearts but one of the best ways to see what's in our hearts is to pay attention to the words of others and to the words of ourselves one of the best ways to think of what someone thinks of someone is to listen about how they talk about them when they're not in their presence right you might go into a classroom and the kids are yes ma'am no ma'am raising their hands but then you go sit with them at lunch at the lunch table in the cafeteria Then you'll find out what they really think of that teacher or that assistant principal. What things we say, whether outwardly to others, the things that we say to ourselves within the listening of our own minds. What we say about God when we feel like he isn't present, when we're not in worship, when we're not with God's people in church or in Bible study that reveals where our hearts are our speech also therefore needs to be watched because our primary because speech is our primary means of taking up this priestly calling right we are called a royal priesthood 1 Peter 2, nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The Aaronic priesthood is removed. Jesus is our once and forever priest. But in His eternal priesthood, we are given the priestly task of proclaiming the excellencies, of instructing others in the good news. And so what is our pattern of life? What is our speech saying about God to others. To borrow a phrase I heard yesterday in one of the sermons at Presbytery, we need to look at our wallets and our watches. What are we spending time and money on and what does that say to others about what we value, what we honor, what we fear? What does my instruction to my children say about what is important? Am I communicating to them that the most important thing is good grades and earthly success Or is it walking faithfully with the gracious God? So what now? We have revealed in this passage a holy God deserving of all reverence, of pure speech, of awe and fear, who offers us blessing, and yet the priests who were supposed to be the vehicle of that blessing, those trained, those raised from birth to serve, they couldn't do what it takes What hope is there for us to guard knowledge and instruction to ourselves, to each other, to our children? What hope is there for me to pastor a church? What does it mean when the priestly line who is supposed to instruct us falls short, when pastors and elders fail the people, when we as colleagues, parents, and neighbors cause others to stumble? There is a lot of bad news in this passage, but if we pay attention, there is some good news, because this passage also speaks about Jesus. When we pay attention to this passage, what we see in this passage is the revelation of Jesus' priestly role and work on our behalf. Now when I say that, I am not saying that this passage is a prediction of Jesus, the way we might read Isaiah 53 but it is a preparation for him. As the stain upon the line of Aaron invites the question, who can stand for God's people? The passage shows us what is lacking and what is required to make up for it. And therefore it prepares us for one who does what Aaron's descendants, what Levites' descendants could not do and did not do. We see in Jesus the perfect priestly performance first in one who obeys and upholds god's word levi is commended as the one who starts this because he is the one that walked with the lord it was a covenant of life and peace it was a covenant of fear and true instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips he walked with me in peace and uprightness he did what was holy and right and he turned many from iniquity in Jesus, we see one who walked with God. Not just when people were watching and when he was teaching, but would withdraw from the crowds so that he could build himself up with, with drugs, with, with, with prostitutes, with fame, with money, with just a lot of food or a lot of extra wine. No, he went to be revived by walking with the Lord in prayer. Jesus, who was testified to by the Spirit as the beloved Son with whom God the Father was well pleased at his baptism. Of whom the disciples heard the Lord spake, Listen to my son at the transfiguration. The Jesus who was vindicated after his crucifixion through his resurrection that his sacrifice was acceptable because it was pure. Whom Hebrews 4.15 testifies that he was tempted but without sin. Jesus walked in life in peace and uprightness before God his Father. Jesus rightly instructed his people. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. At the end of Jesus' sermon on the mount, the people said this, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Remember the scribes, they were the priestly class whose job it was at first to write down the law and repeat it, but over time became those most familiar with it and those who were trusted to interpret it. Ezra, in Ezra 7, 6, is described as a scribe. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. And yet the descendants of Ezra for all of their authority and interpretation and skill in the law were recognized as deficient compared to the authority by which God instructed his people through Jesus. He is the priestly messenger who speaks not in just repetition or interpretation, but with the authority of the very one who speaks. He did not loosen the definition of holy living, but reflected its true depth, while at the same time loosening the bonds of man who made laws and religiosity which held the people back from God. Rather than causing many stumble, to stumble, as the Levitical priests had in Malachi, it was not his teaching that caused other people to stumble, but how far he would go to bring God's people back from blessing by receiving a curse upon himself, the curse of the cross which brings us to the ultimate preparation for Jesus as the priesthood. Because what the priesthood was supposed to do was take those under the curse of their sin to send them out after the offering of their sacrifices with a blessing. To convert curse into blessing for the well-being of the people. But the priests have polluted themselves with their disobedience so that what comes out of their mouth produces further curse rather than blessing. How can those under wrath and a curse for their sin, find blessed relationship with God. Well, we read in Isaiah 53-5, through five, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. And afflicted, But he was wounded, not for his transgressions, but for ours. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. There's a detail in this passage that might go by us quickly. But as God is rebuking the Levites and speaking of the curse upon their children because they will be unable to fulfill the role, he says this, Verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces. And that word dung is, is not merely excrement. It's speaking of, of the intestinal pollution from the offerings. This is the part of the animal that would be left over after the offerings. The part that had to be disposed of. All that yucky stuff in there. That's what spread on their faces. But then pay attention to this. The dung of your offerings and you shall be taken away from. With it. What was supposed to happen to those unacceptable, to those polluting parts of the offerings after the offering of the sacrifice? They were to be carried to the outside of the camp to be disposed of. Jesus, who took on our afflictions and our transgressions, was marched to Golgotha to the burning trash heap outside of the city so that the curse that was upon God's people, so that the curse that was upon the priests who were supposed to be blessing could be borne by Him so that in His perfect obedience, in His perfect instruction, we could receive the blessing of God, the blessing of life and peace. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So testifies 2 Corinthians 5.21, so prepares us for that news, does Malachi too. Jesus came as the priest that the Levites failed to be, fulfilling their duties and establishing an eternal priesthood in himself, as Hebrews tells us, so that through his obedience, through his right instruction, in coming to him in faith, we can come to God and find life and peace. Military servicemen and women have relied on mail to communicate to their loved ones when they've been out on assignment. In fact, our very own Reverend Josh Henderson, who was at the church in Portland, is now serving as a chaplain, is deployed right now overseas. And so throughout history, such deployed servicemen and women, they've relied on on letters and later telegrams and then later email and these days Zoom to be in communication with their loved ones far apart. And it helps, right? But it's never enough. I'll see scenes of... of Dads or moms speaking to their kids or spouse at home over Zoom, and it's touching. But you know those videos that just always wreck me? It's when mom or dad or son comes home from war, comes home from deployment, and whether planned or not, wraps their loved ones in the hug of their presence. Because for all the good that the mail or the email or the Zoom message is, it is not sufficient because it is not the person themselves. The priests were supposed to facilitate the reunion of God's people with God so that they could walk with Him. So that the distance created by our sin and our disobedience would allow us to return home. They were supposed to confirm the message of God's love, his desire to bless, his justice, mercy, compassion, and holiness. They were supposed to communicate this to his people. The email kept going in the spam. The letters kept getting lost. And so God dispensed with faulty messengers. And the messenger became the message himself. Jesus comes that we would not just see him from a distance, hear from him at a distance, so that we might behold, see, feel, touch the very word of God himself. Praise God that when priests fail, when our speech fails, when our comprehension fails, Jesus blesses. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that speaks truth to us. Would we receive it not just for the encouragement of our minds, for the filling up of our bank of knowledge, but so that we would know you and walk with you as you intended us. Thank you that Jesus overcame our sin, that Jesus overcame the inability of the priests to be our intercessors, that he came to show us your love, O God, in himself. We rejoice in this good news. Amen.